we can have those lights back on those yeah that's right I want to see the people Woo! thank you Jesus those ones too I have those on as well yeah thank you Lord well this morning is a little different do you feel like it's a bit different? Did you walk into church this morning and go, oh no, where's my seat? Like, you know, they've, ooh, any of those with OCD have a freak out? Pastor Phil did. He was walking around here going, where am I going to sit? Where am I going to sit? Where am I going to sit? It was like, Andy had put him over here because he thought, no, he's going to choose there. And Frank had thought he's going to choose there. They had a little bet going because usually Pastor Phil wants to sit right in the middle and he wants his seat to be centre. And, and now he's feeling awkward right now, are you? He's just like, <laughs> but anyway, change is good for all of us. You know, this is the, the this is the day. Today is the new year of Rosh Hashanah. Today, and it falls on my birthday. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But we just feel in the spirit that God's doing something so so beautiful. And I felt like, whoa, can we turn those down a bit? Yes, here I am. No, no, they're killing me. You don't stand here and say it's all right. Um, yeah, so we feel like God is doing something really special in our lives. Does anybody feel like that? Do, does anybody feel like God is just almost trying to come closer to you? Like, do you feel that, Tom? What are you feeling? What are you feeling? Uh, he's, he's knocking um, on the door like a little bit louder. And yeah, he, like you said, he wants to come closer. Absolutely. You look like in your face, you're feeling more peace, more joy. I can see it. It's like he's coming and he's preparing his people for the days ahead. It's like he's coming and he's, he's, he's communicating with his people. I want to love you so much. I want to strengthen you so much that the days you walk into, you're going to walk, you're going to breeze through them. Amen. You will not be unprepared. You will be so full of my love and my grace. You'll feel me with you. You'll sense me with you. You'll hear my voice behind you telling you when to turn right and when to turn left. Things are going to happen in the world, in the day that we live in. They are. They already are happening. You can see it. You can clearly see it. And the prophets say that on this day, things are going to dramatically change, that from this day forward, things are going to change. And so we have to be ready for that change. You know, God always prepares his people. The Bible says that he doesn't let you go through anything that he first doesn't give you the strength. He's not a father that would just let you be, you know, let things happen and you just be unaware of it. He's a father who prepares you. And he believes in you, otherwise you wouldn't be alive in this day today. He has ordained you to be born on a specific day so you'd be alive today. Because you're the ones who are called as the remnant of his church to rise up and display his glory on the earth. It's you. Put your hand in your say, it's me. I've been called. I've been chosen. I'm a royal priesthood. Amen. Hallelujah. And we know that we're coming into a day where God is going to use the whole body of Christ for his glory, wherever you are, wherever space you're in. But to do that, we need to be carrying something. We need to be carrying something more than what we're carrying now. Anybody feel like that? Do you feel like what you're carrying now is enough? Anybody satisfied in the room? 
Anybody feel like they've got enough of God? Thank you, God, I've got enough of you. I'll just wait till you come and get me and I'll go home and I'll be fine. See, you might have enough of God for you to survive now. But have you got enough of God for you to not just survive, but to thrive in the days to come? Have you got enough of God on you to reach out and save the lost and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons the way that Jesus said we would? Or have you got enough of God in your tank just for you, yourself and I? Because God's taking us out of that space of selfish Christianity into a space where we're going to enlarge, where he's going to fill us and where he's going to visit us in profound, profound ways. Get ready for it. Get ready for it. He said to Nathaniel when he found him under the fig tree, Nathaniel, you think that it's amazing that I knew where you were sitting before I came here, that I foreknew where you had been and what you had thought and what you had said. You think that's amazing? He said, there will come a day where you see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, there's going to come a day where there is complete open heaven, where there's such an open heaven that the activity of heaven is going to touch earth in such a way that it's going to be transforming places, homes, nations, people, us. We've got to get ready for that. Amen? So... I love this, what God has given me this morning, and we're going to do something quite practical, and we're going to do something, we're going to walk through something together. We're going to actually get it. You know, sometimes you can hear words. Some people learn by words. Some people learn by activity. So this morning, we're going to do activity. That's what all this is about. We'll explain that to you in a minute. But Amos 9.1 says this, In the last days, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages and and all uh, and raise up the ruins and build it up as in the days of old. See, sometimes we read a scripture and we go, yeah, what does that mean? I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David in the last days. What does that actually mean? What are you saying, David? And to know what that means, we've got to understand what the tabernacle of David is. Because how is he going to rebuild it? And how do we know what's fallen apart and what needs rebuilding if we don't know what the tabernacle of David is? So again, in Acts 15, 16 and 17, you'll see it on the screen, Barabbas and um, Paul, Barnabas, not Barabbas, wrong one, Barnabas and Paul are quoting the prophets here and they're saying, after this I will return and I will rebuild, this is Jesus, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. This is New Testament. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. That's what we all want, isn't it? So there's a key here in the day that we live to encourage us to return to the heart of the tabernacle of David and learn what the revelation is that the Father is trying to teach us, desperately trying to show us now. And why, see, people want to say what, and we need to know why. Why is this revelation so important that God is placing it in the hearts of his prophets with a great sense of urgency? Let's try and understand it. Are you ready? 
Okay, put your hand on your head. Say, Lord, I bring every thought into captivity into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen. So after the fall of man, we all know this, but I'm going to do a brief because some of the young people may not and some of the new people may not. After the fall of man, God still longed to be near his people. But because of their sin, he could no longer walk in the garden as he had done with Adam and Eve. We know that. You know that he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. But since they sinned, he was separated from them and he didn't want to be separated from them. But he knew that if he went near them in their sin, that they would die because his glory was just too much. His, his sinlessness, his purity, who he was, was just too much. And so he willingly allowed his presence to be put in a box. Can you imagine that? The God of the whole universe said, I so much want to be with you, but if you come near my presence, you're going to die. So I'm going to put my presence in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And you can carry that box wherever you go, through the desert, through your wanderings, through your journeys, and then place that box behind a thick curtain within this meeting place of God. And only the priests can come in after they do a lot of things to prepare to come into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. In fact, when they tried to carry the Ark of the Covenant in a way that God told them not to, they dropped head. That's how strong what was in that box. And God was trying to be near his people, but protect them at the same time. Do you understand that? You guys understand it? Sunday youth, I want you to understand it and grab this because it's important. So the people really were only allowed to be in the outer court. So up where Tim Phillips is and our beautiful men at the back there and our sound people, that's kind of where the people would hang. And then there would be this tabernacle where the priest would gradually go through these different stages of the tabernacle to make sure that there was sacrifice for the people, to make sure that he did all the things according to the word of God. And then he would go in behind this thick curtain and that's where the glory cloud would be. There'd be a cloud in there, a glory cloud. And he, because he had cleansed himself for 12 months before he went in there, that's how long it took, he would be able to hear what God is saying to the people. And then he would go out and tell the people in the outer court, this is what God has said to you. And, and because there'd been a, an animal sacrifice, they were sacrificing an animal to cleanse everyone of their sin, right? So that's how it, everyone get that? Good. That was pretty straightforward. In the Old Testament, there were three dwellings of God. There was the tabernacle of Moses, which was a tent. Then there was the tabernacle of David, which was also a large tent. And then there was the temple of Solomon. So the question for us today is, and this is the question I've been asking God, out of these three dwellings, why would you choose David's tabernacle, which was the most, honestly, it was the roughest one. It had the least ornate furniture. It was very ordinary. It was down to earth. It was what you would probably call today, what would you call it, Jesse? Boho. 
<laughs> I don't know what you call it. What's the word for like? Anyway, you know, you know how the kids these days, they, they buy kind of furniture that doesn't match and everything, and they think that's groovy, but it really bugs me. <laughs> rustic. There's a good word. Rustic. Thank you, Jessica. Boho is good too. Okay, Gemma says boho is good. So it was like that. It was no fancy stuff. There was not lots of gold and there wasn't a lot of red, there wasn't a red carpet through it and there wasn't any, any of these trimmings to it. Why would God choose the tabernacle of David <laughs> over Solomon's temple, which had millions of dollars worth of beautiful things in it? And it was just, why did he choose this? To understand this, And why would he choose to rebuild that temple in the last days? Why is that temple, that tabernacle important to us? So to understand this, we have to understand that David's tabernacle was strikingly unique. It was unique in the biblical narrative. King David establishes Israel's capital in Jerusalem and set up a worship tent there on Mount Zion. He placed the Ark of the Covenant, a place of God's presence in the tent, And what was unique about David's tabernacle, does anybody know? Unique from the other two, apart from the fact that it was pretty... Nope. There, that was unique, that was part of it. There's something that's really significant as far as the furnishings of the tabernacle that's completely different from the tabernacle of Moses and from the temple of Solomon. There was no veil. There was no veil. There was no curtain. There was nothing that separated God from his people. This is before the blood of Jesus was shed. There was no curtain. And so the people could be in the outer court and they could still see the presence of God. And this is the other things that were unique about this. The most holy place, the most holy place was made accessible for all the Levites, the worshippers. And he made it accessible to them because he said, my God deserves worship 24-7. So I am rostering worshippers to worship in this place without a veil, before the, before, the, before the Ark of the Covenant, before the very presence of God, I'm ordaining worshippers to worship 24-7. And the Levites, who were the worshipping tribe, were allowed to come in and be there, and they didn't drop dead. Because David had had this revelation that if we worshipped in spirit and in truth, if our spirits were connected to God, then we wouldn't drop dead in his presence. And of course, David himself could go any time in and out. Amen. He had worshippers, David had worshippers worshipping day and night, 24-7 on that Mount of Zion, in that shabby tent with the rustic furniture, 33 years non-stop for the entirety of his reign 
they worshipped. What was the key that David found here, I wonder? He knew that the powerful atmosphere of worship brought a great blessing to David and to the nation. That there was something about when people worshipped, not just any space, but when they worshipped in the most holy place, in the presence of God, something shifted in the nation. Something changed. David was always under attack. You can read the Psalms. that He was always under attack. There was always wars going on. But he knew the secret was, if I can just have worship, a people that will worship God in the most holy place, then we will never lose a battle. We will always have success and my reign will always be blessed by God. The tabernacle of David is a powerful foreshadowing of the church of Jesus Christ. That's why he wants to rebuild it in this day. It has profound impact on us as Christians. It was unique, his tabernacle, because it didn't come from a blueprint. The other tabernacles had come from a blueprint from God. This is how I want you to build the tabernacle. This is exactly how I want you to build the temple. But with David, God spoke to him face to face. God imparted to him the the exact uh, way the tabernacle should be because of his heart, you see. Because this tabernacle didn't come from a a plan or, or 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 a system. It came out of the heart of man. It came out of the heart of David because he was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And God was preparing a man, a king, who would understand what Jesus would do and what that would mean to the people of God. He'd given him a a revelation of the future. We know in the Psalms that he prophesied the Messiah. We know that. You know that he prophesies the Messiah coming. He prophesies his death. He'll be beaten. He'll be whipped for our transgressions. He prophesies it. And so 1 Samuel 13, 14 says that David had a heart after God. He had a heart after God. It's like he kind of understood God when other people didn't. Other people understood him in a religious way, but David understood him in a relationship way. David was showing us the way that we need to understand our God. Amen? His uniquely intimate and personal relationship with the Lord set the stage for the nation of Israel to be brought into the glory and the presence of God. Just think about some of the Psalms and the things David was saying and it will bring it to your mind. Yeah, that's right. That's what he was all about. David was saying things like this in the Psalm 42, 1-2. As the deer pants for the stream of water... So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? That's what he's singing and praying. That's all he wants to do. I just want to meet with God. 
And he was also saying in Psalm 84, 1 to 2, and then we're going to go to verse 10 in 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. See, when you read these, you've read these scriptures before, but now they mean something different. How lovely is this dwelling place, this holy of holies? How lovely is this place where I can come and dwell? You know, there's something about the dwelling in God. There's something about the dwelling in the deep places of God that is going to give us protection in the days that we live in. Psalm 91 says, those who dwell, those who dwell in the presence of God, those who dwell under the shadow of the Almighty shall rest under His wings. Those who dwell, those who learn how to dwell in the most holy place in their hearts, in their lives, in their homes and in their churches and in their cities. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh um, sing for joy to the living God. My, so- my flesh and my soul cry out, it says. And I sing for joy to the living God. Like, I really believe that Lord is, is beginning to put in His people a yearning again for His presence, a yearning for that intimate place in God where we are defined again as the people of God, as sons and daughters of God. He's, there's a place of yearning that God wants to put in our hearts. There's a hunger David's saying, I'm just hungering for this place. I'm hungry for this place. I'm thirsty for this place. It's I can't be satisfied with anything else. I need to find God like this. And Psalm 84.10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Again, think about what he's saying. Now we understand it. It wasn't like David was saying, better, better than one day go to church on Sunday than six in the world. He's not saying that. Better is one day in your courts and a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Amen. The pursuit of God's presence was the driving force of David's life. He articulated this deep longing by saying that there was one thing that he desired. He longed to be in the place of worship, gazing upon God's beauty, hearing his voice and dwelling in his presence forever. Psalm 27, 4 talks about this, that one thing that David desires. He says, one thing I have desired, Lord, that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. Now, obviously, David wanted more than one thing in his life. We all want more than one thing in our lives. We've got more than one thing to do, haven't we? You know what I mean? He was a king. He was a military leader. He had many natural responsibilities. Yet the overarching desire in his heart that eclipsed all other desires. I want to say that again. The overarching desire in his heart that eclipsed all other desires was the one thing to be in his presence. He longed for communion with God. David's cry for one thing was a priority of his relationship with God above everything else. David knew if he got this one thing right, it would bring blessing and fruitfulness to everything he put his hands to. 
if you just get this one thing right, it'll be fruitfulness and blessing to everything you put your hands to. You know, as I've watched men and women of God over the last, say, 40 years that I've been in ministry, and I've watched them come and I've watched them go and I've watched them do great exploits and I've watched them fall. And I've, watched, and I've said, Lord, what is the difference between those that really move in your spirit and stay the course and those that don't? He said, they stay in my presence. They know how to stay in my presence. And because of that, everything they touch bears fruit. See, David knew this one thing would bring blessing to everything that he touched. Likewise, if he got this one thing wrong, it will, it will bring a ripple of negativity into every area of his life, work and ministry. He understood that all prosperity, joy and victory was an overflow from God's presence in him. Amen. This heart posture would set the tone for all David's reign as king and lead to the establishment of David's tabernacle. You see, what was happening was that David was connecting to a prophetic source. We know that when he, in Isaiah 52 when he prophesies the Messiah. He's connecting to a prophetic He's feeling and seeing something that he doesn't know what it is, but it's in the future. But he knows he has to set up something that's going to make a way for that. And so he removes the, the veil. It's profound, really. It's amazing they didn't crucify him, really, when you think of that. His zeal was the pursuit of the Lord, but his zeal was to make a way for Jesus. And he didn't even know it. That's what's happening inside of us. You know, there's a zeal that's happening inside of us that's changing us and we don't understand it because it has a prophetic feel to it. It's future, it's, it's down the road. He's preparing us for something down the road. He was preparing David and the tabernacle of David was to prepare the people for what to come. And that was Jesus. We're preparing the way for Jesus. We're, 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 we're the friends of the bridegroom preparing the way for Jesus. Amen. The truth becomes evident when we look at Jesus, the high priestly prayer, his high priestly prayer in John 17. This passage gives us some amazing insight, insight into the heart of God. Let's look at verse 24. He says this, Jesus prays this, this is just before he's going to be crucified. His priestly prayer, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I want those who are close to me. I, I'm leaving this place, but I want them to remain in my glory. I want them to remain in this space where I have communion with you, God, that they would understand that space where the victory is. Jesus' prayer to the Father, he is a fervent cry to have these people need him in intimate relationship. And you can feel the deep love of Jesus for us. Amen. Can you feel it this morning? Can you feel, just close your eyes right now. Is your heart beating a little faster? He's like, he wants so much. He wants so much for you to know how much he loves you. Like he just, 
He just wants so much for you to be prepared. Amen. He desires to bring us into that eternal flame of love that flows between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit within the Godhead. He wants to bring us in. Remember he said, I am one with the Father. Father is in me. I am in the Father. You are in me. We are one. We are one. Father, make them one. Just as I am one with the Father. Just as the Father is one with me. Holy Spirit, make us one. Make us one. Make us one. He desires to bring us into that eternal flame of love that flows between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Jesus was yearning to have his disciples close to him and experience the fullness of his passionate love. Do you want to know what's going to change this world? It's a supernatural experience of love in your life that will change this world. Do you want to know what God's going to pour out in the days we live in? His glory, which is his love. His goodness, His love, His compassion, His grace, His mercy. He's not coming down to point a finger at the world. He's giving them a last chance to go, this is who we are. This is, this is, the tr- this is us. This is, this is what we want for you. We want to just love you. We want to take you home. We want you to have the best life. This is what we want. He's trying to pour that out. Likewise, as we walk in intimacy with the Lord, we'll find our hearts in agreement to the yearnings of God's heart. Can you feel that right now? I can. Like I just feel like going in and crying somewhere because I can feel the yearning of God's heart for you and for us. The truth is, The only reason we can love and desire him is because he first loved us. Isn't that true? It's not a religious thing like, oh, I've got to get through the tabernacle. I've got to make my way. I've got to get to the most holy place. And no, I've got to cut myself up and I've got to repent. And I've got to do all this stuff. I've got to go through these processes. No, no, the only reason that we are drawn to him is because he first loved us. He loved you first. He loved you while you were in your dark places. He loved you when you're in your dark places. He loves everything about you. He is totally, totally in love with you. Amen. That's in 1 John 4, 19, that he loved us first. It is his longing for us that fuels our longing for an intimate relationship with him. You know, when I, when I first met Phil... It was like the way that he looked into my eyes. We were talking about this the other night at the ladies' meeting, about we need our husbands to look into our eyes more. But the way he looked into my eyes and I looked into his eyes, there was a longing coming from him. Or was it me first? I don't know. That drew me. I was drawn because of his longing for me. I was drawn to, I'm still to this day, you know, he bought me some roses the other day and walked in the house and, and said, I love you, darling. We both burst out crying and had a cuddle. It was just the most intimate moment. Because there's something about when someone loves you like that, and Jesus obviously loves us a whole bunch more than Phil can love me. You know, he's the ultimate, isn't he? 
But there's something about when there's a drawing, when, there, when there's someone that's, that, that's putting skin in the game first. He first loved me. I didn't have to, I didn't have to do all this stuff to try and make him love me. He loved me first. He loved me before. He's loved me always. He's loved me before I was formed in my mother's womb. He's always loved me. There's nothing I can do to change that. I can't get bad enough to make him stop loving me. I can't. No one can. He first loved us. And then because he first loves us, we just go, I just want to love you with every part of my being and whatever's stopping me getting close to you, God, I want to let go of that. Whatever's stopping me from being, you know, formed into your image, I want to let go. I want to let go of the things that are destroying me and I want to come into life and life in abundance because of love, not because of rules and regulations. I believe the Lord is inviting the body of Christ to reorientate around his presence. You know, when he says he's going to rebuild this tabernacle of David, he's drawing his people back into holy presence, whether in your homes, your churches, cities, tents, nations. The very person and the presence of God must, must take centre stage again. And that's just like, I'm going to say it again. The very person and the presence of God must take centre stage in the church again. And we as a church, we want to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Whatever you want us to do, we want this, Lord. You want us to get rid of programs, whatever you want to do, God, we want this, Lord. We've always wanted this, Lord. Lord Jesus, come. After all, the last thing we want is a church without God. Huh? Huh? Who wants to do that? That's what religion is. That's what religion is. It's a church without God. Don't you want to come here every Sunday and and just walk into the presence of God? Well, it's because you carry it. Because you've been in his presence at home. You walk in the door. You bring his presence in here with us. It's not like the old... You know, the old tabernacle that's waiting for the priest to do it all. You know, what did you hear from God, priest? Can you tell us how to walk, priest? Did you sacrifice for us, priest? Because we're not sacrificing for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? It's not like that anymore. This is God's house and we are all here to meet with him. And we all carry, hopefully, a level of his presence into the house of God. And when we come with that kind of heart, that this is not about me coming to hear from the preacher so he can lift me up, that this is about me coming to worship my God in spirit and truth, this is about me coming and finding the most holy place where I can meet with God, when we get that in our hearts, then we have a different concept of what church is. This isn't a Bible college. This is a home. It's a home. It's God's house. It's where God lives. And you're coming to your Father's house to meet with Him. And if we can help you do that, the worshippers, the, the preachers, whatever we, the servers, the people at the door, all, if we can all help you find a place where you meet with God, that's all we want. 
Amen. Ah, oh, Jesus. It is the beholding of the beauty of Jesus that takes us from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Understanding David's tabernacle has profound implications on how we relate to God and how we function as a church and how we accomplish God's mission in the world. Today, I want you to see clearly, very clearly, what was happening under that tent on a hillside in Jerusalem 3,000 years ago. In the, tent of God's in the tent of David, God's people are invited to stand right in front of the ark. I just think that's profound. And we see it now in Hebrews 10, 19 in the New Testament. We see how, how does that happen? How can we come into the presence of God? How? And Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by then you are a living way opened up for us through the curtain of his body. And since we... Oh, sorry, I have to read it from there. Oh, we haven't got it? Okay, because I've messed up my... Is it there? Hebrews 10, 19. It's in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, can you want to give me that feel? And you can read it because I've got glasses. Oh, okay. Uh, 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with the full assurance and faith brings Wow! you need to highlight that scripture in your Bibles and you need to you know, you need to meditate on these scriptures. What is he saying? He's saying there's no longer a veil because of the blood of Jesus. And we're going to explain that in a minute. But when you walk into the most holy place, you're literally walking through the body of Jesus. You're literally walking through his body to present yourself to God. It's profound, isn't it, Jess? It just undoes me. When we, when we can learn how to live in this space, when we, can, when we can learn about living in the presence of God in our own homes, in our cars, and just carrying this with us 24-7, like David did, then we will know that we have divine protection. It, and it will prepare our hearts for the harvest because it says, so that all mankind may seek the Lord. Oh, there's a great harvest coming. We need to send out the evangelists. No, no, no. We just need to get in the presence of God. We need to get into the most holy place and worship Him wherever we are. I mean, I pray in tongues. We do all the time. Why has God given us praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit? Because it's so we can stay in that place no matter what we're doing. When the kids were little and I was a busy mum, I'd be hanging nappies on the line, praying in tongues. I'd be washing them in the bath, praying in tongues. 
Pastor Phil's embarrassing sometimes, I told the ladies the other night, because he forgets that he's praying in tongues because he prays in tongues all the time. And he'll be in coals. And I just go, shh, like people. And they go, he just, he says, they'll think that I'm Italian or something. It's all good. You know, because, you know, if you've been given that gift, you need to use it. And just pray in the Spirit at all times. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we have to put on the full armour of God. When you've done all, then stand and pray in the Spirit at all times. That's our divine protection. That's the way we do it. It's not hard, you know. It's not as if we have to work hard to get into the presence of God. You know, praying in tongues, you don't have to think about it. Because the Bible says we can pray with our mind or without our mind. Anybody in here would like to pray without their minds? Anybody got a mind like mine that never stops? All the women, you know, we've got two sides of our brain that function all the time and we never have a rest. Men go to sleep at night and they go into their nothing box. There is a nothing box inside a man's brain. It's the truth. That's why when you say to them, what are you thinking about? They go, nothing. We say, oh, it couldn't be. Actually, I am thinking about nothing. I'm in my nothing box. But women have got these brains that never shut off, do they, Kayleen? Day and night, we go to bed, we're sleeping at night, we're churning things over. We wake up in the middle of the night, we're working out how we're going to do things, you know. We just never stop. One day I'm going to ask God when we get to heaven, why didn't you give us a nothing box? It's so unfair. So unfair. But the thing is that I can pray in tongues while I'm thinking about what I'm going to cook for dinner. And that's not, that's not ungodly it's not you know it's, it's not it's, it's it's right because it says it in the word of God you can pray with your mind or without your mind I pray without my mind a lot because my mind gets in the way actually so I believe God is inviting us to be consumed like David to be gripped with God's desire to be his people he longs to manifest his presence and kingdom on the earth and he's looking for pioneers who are willing to do whatever it takes any pioneers in this room? Look, you all look like, oh, I don't know about that. That was Mr. Bean. Right then, I just did a Mr. Bean. He's looking for pioneers. Basically, you can start today. You're a pioneer if you start today. I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to do this. Amen? Who are willing to do whatever it takes to build a dwelling place for his presence in their hearts, in their homes, in their cities, in their churches. Okay, so the worship order in the Tabernacle of David is a heavenly worship order, and we're going to walk through it in a minute. It was a, a prophetic inspiration of Jesus rebuilding the Tabernacle of David in our day. He has come to us now, Jesus, and he is coming again. Even now across the nations, he's taking his place at the centre of his church and he will rule and reign on the throne of David forever. May we learn to prioritise the presence of Jesus in our lives, our cities, our churches. May we minister to him day and night with prophetic songs, intercessory prayers. May we take the good news to the ends of the earth so that every tribe and tongue will sing a new song to the Lamb who is worthy of it all. May we develop a heart to live in the presence of God 24-7, which will not only give us a place of divine protection, but it will prepare our hearts for the harvest that is to come. In Psalm 100 and verse 4, 
It says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So I'm just going to take you through this and then we're going to walk through physically through a tabernacle ourselves and learn what it is to walk through David's tabernacle without the veil. Okay? So the first thing that we see in the tabernacle of David and in the, in the setup of this tabernacle was outside they would go into thanksgiving and praise. So enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. Do you have that up there? Yeah. So you can see this is the gate. You see the gate at the beginning down the bottom and the outer court. So you enter his courts with thanksgiving and into his gate with praise. Amen. And then the next thing that was needed was a sacrifice. Is that right? So they would have a table normally in the tabernacle, a table where they would sacrifice an animal. But today, the communion, yes, coming. Today, we are going to come through the blood of Jesus Christ because He is our sacrifice. And we're going to pass through that table there. We're going to have communion on that table. The next thing, let's run fast, get that bowl. The next thing was the bowl of cleansing. So after they had sacrificed, obviously there was blood on their hands. And this signifies repentance. It's like we don't want any blood on our hands. We want all the blood, Jesus' blood, to wash us clean of everything. So this is, signifies a place of repentance. So even you can do this at home. You're outside, you feel like I can't connect with God, you begin to thank Him. God, thank you for this. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the goodness. Thank you for my family. Thank you. And then you start to praise. I praise you. You are high and you are mighty. You are lifted up. Amen. Now I'm going to come and I'm going to thank you for your blood, Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers me, that covers me from all sin. Your blood has made a way that I can come into repentance. So I'm washing now. I'm asking you to wash me clean of all the things I've done. And all. you see that? See the progression? And then the next thing is the, the candelabra which signifies the light of God, but it also signifies the light of the Word of God. So that's where we've got to have our Bibles and open our Bibles up so that we can read the Bible and in the light of God will shine upon us. And then on this side, we have the um, showbread, the shoebread they call it, which is really what we're talking about, that through the body of Jesus, through His body, we can walk boldly into the presence of God. So we're going to take his body, we're going to take it as a symbol of walking into the presence of God. And then there is a table here, which is the table of incense. And he's carefully carrying that incense out as we speak. And this incense is the fragrance of God. You know, the word, the word of God says that, that the world will know you are his because you'll carry his fragrance, you'll You'll carry a fragrance that's about you that you've been in the most holy place, that you've, that you've got something about you that's different. It's the fragrance of the Lord. And also, when Jesus manifests his presence, you'll be able to smell him. It, there's a fragrance that he releases in the room. And then you come past the, the incense into this here, which is the most holy place, and we're going to worship God there. All right, put everything down off your seats. The, the first... Three or four seats on this side. Don't leave anything on your seats because we're going to move those seats. And we're going to do this. We're going to take to 11.30. We're going to go to the back. And you're going to just all gather 
at the back there in front of the sound desk along there and I'll tell you what to do next. <laughs> 